I think this emphasis on halacha only education or abstinence only education is problematic in that we have several different things we want our students to be. We want them to be halachic and observers of halacha, certainly, but we also want them to be ethical people and humane and people of good character. So for example, let's say two high school students engage in some kind of forbidden act, uh, halachically speaking. There's a really big difference between the two of them doing so consensually and the two of them doing so because one of them pressured or coerced the other. And if we simply put all of that under the banner of you're not abstinent, then we have failed the kids. I'm Scott Kahn, and this is the Orthodox Conundrum. This is The Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. Should intimacy and sex be taught in religious high schools? The members of my panel today believe that it's not only a good idea, but extremely important and, in fact, imperative. They make a very strong case indeed. And as the co-host of the Intimate Judaism podcast, I have seen firsthand how ignorance when it comes to sex and sexuality can have far-reaching consequences, particularly in light of the recent reports of a rape at Yeshiva University where the perpetrator allegedly excused his crime by saying, but it's fun, we see that a Jewish sexual ethic is not something that our children and students just acquire by some sort of osmosis. If we don't teach it, we can only blame ourselves when things go wrong. We'll begin this fascinating and important conversation in a minute. First, please subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please like The Orthodox Conundrum page on Facebook and join and participate in The Orthodox Conundrum discussion group on Facebook. We have some fantastic discussions there, so check it out today. I'd also like to ask you to become a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast, and you can get bonus episodes, JCH merch, and more. You'll get special episodes on all sorts of topics that are only available to subscribers, and you'll be helping Jewish Coffeehouse spread our message of a welcoming, intellectually engaged, and honest orthodoxy. It's just a few dollars a month, and you can cancel at any time. We're looking forward to your joining the Jewish Coffeehouse team. Finally, do you have a message that needs to get out? Do you want to reach hundreds or even thousands of listeners? The best way is by producing a podcast, and Jewish Coffeehouse can make it happen. I have experience producing hundreds of podcasts, both for myself and for clients. Whether you want to learn everything you need in one day, or record and relax and let us do the heavy lifting, JCH Productions will work with you to make it happen and make it even better than you imagined. Let us help you today. Write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com or go to jchpodcast.com, that's jchpodcast.com, to learn more and to sign up for a free consultation. Make your voice heard, promote your cause, sell your product, and engage your audience today. I'm honored to host Rabbi Moshe Simkovich, Yuetsa Talacha, Tova Warburg-Sanensky, and Mrs. Olivia Friedman on today's episode. Rabbi Moshe Simkovich has been a head of school, congregational rabbi, educational consultant, and educator in yeshivot and Jewish communities in the United States and Israel. Since the 1980s, he has been instrumental in the founding of a number of successful synagogues and Torah institutions. I'm especially honored to have Rabbi Simkovich on the podcast, as he is my own Rebbe, someone who spoke under my chuppah when Eliza and I got married 25 years ago, and a teacher who has had and continues to have a life-changing influence on my life. Yuatsa Talacha Tova Warburg-Sinensky is a graduate of Nishmat's first U.S. Yuatsot Talacha cohort and has worked as a Yuatset since 2013. She has been involved in the field of Jewish education since 2005, including chairing the Talmud department at Mayanot and Kohelet, creating curricula and consulting for high schools on educating teens about sexuality and relationships, and mentoring educators for the Jewish New Teacher Project. Tova has published a number of resources and articles pertaining to Tarat HaMishpacha, Jewish education, and the religious experience of women, and has lectured widely throughout the U.S. and abroad. She graduated summa cum laude from the Stern College Honors Program with a bachelor's degree in philosophy, holds a master's degree in education from the Azrieli Graduate School, and holds a certificate from Yeshiva University's graduate program for advanced Talmudic studies. Olivia Friedman is a creative thinker with a penchant for literary analysis, pop culture, and Tanakh. She currently teaches Tanakh, Jewish law, and oral thought, and serves as an instructional technology coordinator at a modern Orthodox high school. Previously, she taught at Charles E. Smith Jewish Day School in Rockland, Maryland, where she developed the curriculum for a course comparing Western and Jewish thought on evaded issues such as mental health 
LGBTQ plus issues, sexuality, media studies, and gender. Olivia earned her MA in Bible from Yeshiva University's Bernard Revel Graduate School of Jewish Studies, a Master's of Education with a concentration in gifted education from Northwestern University, and a BA in English Literature from YU's Stern College for Women. She has also completed the Matan Bellows Eshkolot Educators Fellowship, the Orthodox Leadership Project, and is a member of the On the Move Fellowship. She has presented and spoken at numerous venues, and her articles have been published in Tablet Magazine, The Forward, The Times of Israel, Jewish Action, and Hypable. Rabbi Moshe Simkovich, Yuasa Talacha, Tova Warburg-Sinensky, and Olivia Friedman, thank you very much for joining me today on the Orthodox Conundrum Podcast. Today, we're going to speak about an issue which is probably sensitive for a lot of people, but I think it's one that needs to be discussed, and that's the question of the necessity of a high school course or courses on intimacy and sexuality. Olivia, I'd like to start with you. What spurred you to start discussing the need for a high school course like this? What happened was that I saw that there had been an important article published on binge drinking in yeshiva high schools, actually, and that came out of SAR, and it was about substance use in yeshiva high schools, and what I saw was that once there was data that had been gathered from high schools around the country, then the action was taken. And that action was to ensure that different high schools were aware of this issue and would create programming around it. And what I had realized is that many of my students and really not, this is not limited to my high school, my students, this is a phenomenon that I think applies to Yeshiva Day School students across the country, are not necessarily always going to follow all the dictates around being Shomer Nagia, or keeping the laws of Yichud, and they'll find themselves in complicated situations that do put them at risk because we're not having the conversations with them around consent and safety and many other important topics. And I thought to myself, if we could create a similar survey that would gauge how this issue is being taught, dealt with, whether some kind of class is being given, whether it's effective, and what exposure students are having to anything from pornography, to nude photos, to actual intimacy, and how they're navigating that, once we had that data, we could come up with the correct intervention. So it started there. Okay, thank you. Tova, you've already taught a course like this at a number of different schools. What course in particular do you teach, and what are the goals of that course? So I've been actually teaching about these topics in high school since 2007, And it's interesting because initially, I thought the goals of the course should be to expose 12th grade students, or I was teaching females, so to teach female students about NIDA. Uh, And over time, my course, which has been renamed uh, Intimacy and Healthy Relationships, is actually much, much more focused on topics such as perspectives on intimacy, what does Judaism say about sexuality, what's allowed, what's not allowed, condoms, pornography, etc., and a lot less on the laws of media, because I think at this stage in, in adolescence development, and hopefully we're starting not in 12th grade, but like in ninth grade or even earlier, um, they don't need to know the laws of media. They need to be able to talk about sexuality in an age-appropriate way. So the big themes that I really emphasize are that they are entitled to knowledge about these topics, that the safe space that we're talking in is actually safe, that any questions that they have are fair game and I'll answer anything as long as it's not personal, and that sexual feelings are natural and normal, and that I think this is really important in terms of the healthy relationships piece that if we expect a lot from our marriages, which we do in 2022, then we need to invest both in the emotional relationship and in the sexual relationship. And therefore, it's important as adolescents to think about these topics and get information about them from a trusted individual. Let me ask you then, do you think that it's been successful? And perhaps I'll even ask how you define success. However you define success, do you think it's been working? So a lot of the feedback I've gotten from students has been, why didn't we learn this in ninth grade? That's definitely been a big piece of feedback, which I I would say is success in terms of like, okay, we finally got this knowledge. So that's check. We really needed this. 
I have received a lot of positive feedback from students that they felt very comfortable, that they felt like they got their questions answered. Uh, I make my course very student-centered. So I start out asking them, what do you wanna know? Like, let's make a Google Doc that's anonymous and write all, down your, all your questions down. Uh, and we go through all their questions. And at this point I can kind of predict what they're gonna ask. So it's not like I'm walking in blind, but I think that they do feel heard and they do feel like their questions are, are answered. So in terms of what Olivia mentioned, like being super proactive about addressing these topics, it, have we achieved success there? If we start in 12th grade, I, I can't say for sure, but I think in terms of the place that I start at, I think that the students have, have received it positively and the parents are appreciative. Well, that's good to hear. Rabbi Simkovich, you have obviously tremendous experience in many different educational institutions. I'm curious about your feelings when it comes to the necessity of a course like this. Presumably in most of the schools in which you've taught or been an administrator, this has not been part of the regular curriculum. And in your experience, has there been a drawback in the lives of the students that you've known in the fact that they haven't had a course like this? In other words, apart from the fact that it's a good thing to add, but have there been drawbacks about not having it that you've seen personally? The drawback, the main drawback that gets highlighted by events are things that happen in students' lives, whether they're in high school or afterwards. Um, people make mistakes that they regret, or even worse, they make mistakes that they don't regret. And I think that as far as any school I've been in, the halacha of some of these things has come up. But it's come up as sort of a byproduct of what's going on in classes. And it comes up as halakha, and it doesn't create a situation that fosters sensitivity or looking at values that are involved in relationships with the other gender. And um, I think that that is missing, and I think it's irresponsible to leave it missing because we see what goes on later on in people's lives. And then they wonder, okay, how do I handle this from the point of view of my being a religious Jew where I'm driven to have, let's say, um, some people might be driven to not be Shomer Nagia. Well, what do I do with that? How do I handle it mentally? On one hand, I have that drive. On the other hand, I know what the halacha says. I don't know where they meet because in me, they don't meet very well. And so I have to go and work with it and figure it out on my own. Why are we having them do that on their own when we can prepare them somewhat? And for that, you do need a presentation in high school, a curriculum that uh, will be taught by people who are trained to be supportive. And then we have to support these teachers too, because there many of them are entering into new territory when they do that sort of thing. They're not prepared. They have been prepared in yeshiva or in mechlalot to a great extent. And I'm even more concerned with guys because women tend to talk about this more and tend to work through it in classes more. And it comes up more often when I've talked to guys in all my years of teaching, it's, a, you know, can I talk to you after class? It doesn't come up as part of the context. I want to add on to what Rabbi Simkovich mentioned. Parents do not understand the access that students now have in 2022. Most of our schools are handing students devices, iPads, computers of various kinds, or requiring that they bring a device to school. And yes, those may be monitored and they may have safety precautions installed on them, but also most students have smartphones now. And once you give your kid access to a smartphone, you are giving them access to anything that they could possibly find on the internet. And that includes, but is not limited to pornography, problematic media. The TV shows that my students watch are not aimed for their ages and they still have access to them and they are still watching them. And there's a lot of content that is depicted that might be inaccurate. And there are relationships that are depicted that are highly problematic. There are behaviors that are being shown as normal that would actually be assault if someone were to act on them in real life. And all of that is being handed to a kid when they have access to their smartphone. And this is to say nothing of exchanging of nude photos, sexting, sextortion, and other safety issues. So at minimum, we need to be concerned about safety and consent and pieces like that. And then there's much more to be said about 
actually being proactive and helping students know how to navigate their bodies and their lives so that their first foray into it when they go to a non-Jewish or secular college campus is not as traumatic and challenging as for many it currently is. One more thing I wanted to bring up, I think that a model of having some kind of sex ed class in high schools is ideal, but I think parent workshops would also be very appropriate and helpful. And there are people like Yocheved Debo and others who make a focus on educating parents on how to talk to, to kids and to teens about this. And there are schools that could be facilitating that relationship and those kind of parent workshop programming, especially now that Zoom is so ubiquitous and people could be attending on Zoom from the comfort of their homes. The belief that because I gave my kid a cell phone, I can trust them, or the belief that parents will take care of it. We don't need to be concerned over it. I view that as an abdication of responsibility. Parents can't have conversations that they don't feel confident to have. We need to help them. I wanted to respond to something Arisimikovich said and then something Olivia said. Um, Arisimikovich mentioned, why are we leading students to contend with these issues on their own and struggle? Uh, and I think one of the really important things that I've seen from getting questions from high school students in my capacity as a Yoetzad and also just talking to them is that they really need to feel like there's nothing wrong with them and that they're not going to be ostracized from like the Jewish circle if they admit that they are not children of gear or that they masturbated or that they watch pornography. I think it's really important that we don't create the sense that, well, if you broke this law, you're out of the pale, but that we really make sure to say like, this is really hard. Let's work on this together we're not perfect. And we need to just figure out a way to help you over this hurdle, which you're coming to me to seek help for. Uh, the other piece I wanted uh, to comment on is this question of like, if we have these curricula that have been around for a long time already, like you'll have a curriculum has been around for a while. Why is it that schools are not all jumping to adopt these curricula? And why is it that parents are not all clamoring for this education? And I think it comes from a natural place of being uncomfortable talking about sexuality. And I think in, in the current generation, talking about anything personal is, is much more comfortable. But we think like a, even a decade ago, right, these conversations, like the one we're having now, might not have happened. So I think we need to be aware of the fact that, you know, maybe today's generation of parents of young children are more comfortable but like my parents' generation, let's say, they may not have been as comfortable talking about these topics with kids. So it really comes from a place of feeling like this is a really vulnerable topic. And I think the same applies to the educators, right? Um, I've had situations where a school wants to start some sort of curricula and the educators feel very differently and have different responses to teaching these topics and what topics they're comfortable with and what topics they're not comfortable with. And I think that also comes down to their comfort level with like hearing about these topics, hearing these terms, hearing anatomically correct language, right? This all comes from their own education about these topics. Were they discussed openly with them or were they not? So I think we're we're kind of up against like a double challenge here, both in terms of parents and in terms of educators. And I think it's natural and normal to not feel super comfortable to talk about sexuality. We just have to find a way to communicate how important this is and really help everyone feel comfortable and confident with this, with this endeavor. I really relate to what you're saying, Tova. And I'm also the host of a podcast called Intimate Judaism with my friend Tali Rosenbaum, who's a therapist. And one of the most important things I think that we're doing just from the feedback that we get, forget the specifics of what we talk about. It's the fact that we're talking about it at all. The fact that a rabbi and a therapist can have an open conversation about intimacy designed for religious people so that these conversations are out in the open, that alone hopefully can make change. So I certainly agree with what you're saying in terms of that importance and also why people are resistant. But that leads me to a question for Rabbi Simkovich. I'd like to ask you from your... I, I'm asking you almost from your political experience, having seen different Orthodox communities in the United States and Israel, do you think it's possible that some of the reluctance that we just mentioned can be overcome or are schools more likely to be limited by either the parents being squeamish or by the administrations being squeamish or any other reasons that might prevent this from actually taking place? 
Okay, that's a, it's a difficult question, and I hope I'm not going to say anything that will make any of the three of you laugh, seeing as you've all been part of institutions that I've intimately had to deal with and be part of. Well, I'll start with one thing that Tova said, which is whatever school does this, the teachers who are doing it have to be trained. They can't, they, they need to be supported. They need even to be screened. Who do we have do this? Because there are some teachers I can think of that are simply not going to do this well. But they need that help to get there. And this should be somewhat part of the education that our Jewish institutions give them in, uh, in whether it's Jewish universities or in yeshivot or michlalot, that they are prepared to do this. And there are places that help prepare if you want it. But now I'll get to the heart of the issue that's bothering you, Scott, which is the, that schools have to deal with an image. They have to create an image for their public. And the public is torn between knowing what life is really like and knowing that they want their kids to be in a school that gives the appearance of being a normal religious institution. That means sometimes you have to overcome the urge to do anything you can to seem normal and hide anything that seems to be a problem. Now, I'm going to say something. I don't know whether I should say this or not because I don't know enough about it. Um, but um, so I have heard that in this incident at YU this past year where there was a player who uh, was on the team, the basketball team, who basically had his own way with a woman at the university without her permission. And the rationale that he gave for going ahead against her will was, but it's fun. That is unacceptable. The fact that he could have, I assume, gone through a Jewish education till then and then gone on to YU. And that's an acceptable answer. It's, to me, means we failed. There's something wrong there because we did not provide this person with the un enough values so that he feels that at least it's inappropriate to say it, even if he does believe it. And so I think it's up to the schools to go further than what they've been doing. Rabbi Simkovich, I want to comment on the anecdote you mentioned, and in particular to the fact that it had to do with uh, a comment, something that a male did. I think that there is this... Um, this lack of parity between education for female students and male students that I observe from youth all the way up to adults. So if we just go backwards, right, as a Yoetzad Halacha, I answer questions for thousands of women each year and I run many, many programs, every educational programs each year. And for the most part, although now I've shifted to including men whenever possible in, in certain communities, um, they're for women. And women are the ones that are invited into these conversations. There are all these Facebook groups of women talking about these issues, challenges, birth control, marriage, fertility, et cetera. Um, and just going back down to the youth, um, as somebody mentioned earlier, women are more likely to talk about these topics. And I think uh, even thinking about Khatan and Kala classes, right? Who are the ones that sit for hours learning about these topics and talking about them? It's the women, um, the men, unfortunately, for, for whatever reason, which we could think about, have very much uh, kind of been left behind. And I think that if we were to sort of compare between their, their educational opportunities, we would see there's a real dearth for men. And I would say that perhaps we need to focus more on getting educators that are comfortable, qualified to talk to the men as young men so that we don't have situations like the one that you mentioned. I wanted to comment to both Rabbi Simkovich and Tova. I think part of the question is how such a class would be delivered. I've heard from students that they would be far more comfortable if any kind of sex education class would come from a doctor from outside the community and also a social worker. And perhaps separately, there would be a class on Jewish values. The idea that the one teacher would be responsible for all of the health education plus the sexual values of Judaism makes many students very uncomfortable, which is not to say it shouldn't or can't be done effectively, but there is a concern, as Tova had mentioned earlier, that students are afraid of being seen in a certain light or perspective, and therefore if it's going to be someone from within the school, it requires a lot of trust for them to 
ask their true questions. And there are ways around it, obviously, with the anonymous Google Doc and so on. But I just want to put out there that it may not be the best idea to have the one Judaic studies teacher be delivering the health content and the Jewish values content. That might be two separate roles. Aside from that, I also thought that uh, Rabbi Simkovich put it very well. And I had a student who uh, submitted the following quote to me that I think is very important. And she said, I'm wondering if schools think if they refuse to talk about something, it isn't there. We get guidance about how we dress, what kind of food we can eat, and literally everything else in our lives. And it almost seems cruel to have us as teenagers growing up, seeing how sexual relationships are outside of our community without giving us real guidance around behavior for us. I just, I think there's a lot to consider in that. Olivia, I want to ask you about what you just said. What would a teacher in your vision say when a student says, I really want to know what we're allowed to do and what we're not allowed to do? And frankly, if we're talking about a high school kid, a boy or a girl who's single, the answer is not much. (laughs) You're not really allowed to do very much. And we can be understanding. We can try to understand where they're coming from. But when it comes to teaching the halachot, it's not as though, oh, there's much more that you're allowed to do than you thought. The answers are probably what they expect them to be in the first place. So with all respect to the student that you're quoting right now, she says, how come we're not being taught this? Someone could easily answer, and they wouldn't necessarily be wrong, because the things you're going to be taught, the answer is no to all of them. And when it finally becomes yes, that's something that's not going to happen until you graduate high school or later. I think this emphasis on halacha-only education or abstinence-only education is problematic in that we have several different things we want our students to be. We want them to be halachic and observers of halacha, certainly, but we also want them to be ethical people and humane and people of good character. So for example, let's say two high school students engage in some kind of forbidden act, uh, halachically speaking. There's a really big difference between the two of them doing so consensually and the two of them doing so because one of them pressured or coerced the other. And if we simply put all of that under the banner of you're not abstinent, then we have failed the kids. That is not right. They need to know that there is a bin Adam Lachavero, right? You know, between an interpersonal piece in addition to the halachic prohibitions around certain actions. And that's why I think teaching a Jewish sexual ethic of the underpinnings of what we really believe Jewish values wise that goes beyond simply the halacha saying yes or saying no is so needed and so crucial. I've often thought that we do a really great job as educators, you know, in creating experiences for our kids in teaching them the halacha, uh, you know, more or less. Um, But what we don't do such a great job of is supporting them to live these halachot. Like, what do I do if on Shabbos I want to text my friend? Like, give me some behavioral or cognitive steps. What do I do if I'm in a room with my girlfriend and I really want to touch her? Like, we don't give them the skills to deal with temptation, to deal with challenges, to deal with like the two parts of my head that are fighting with each other. And I think as educators, uh, we're, we're implementing all these social emotional curriculum, thankfully, which is really important. This should be part of our education for, for, for all humans, frankly, but especially for, for our modern Orthodox kids who have to live in this world and contend with these challenges in a different way. We need to really give them a toolbox of what do I do when I want to do X, Y, Z, and I know I'm not supposed to do it. Like, what's the checklist? What's the punch list? Uh, so I think that's that's really important. Um, the other thing I wanted to add is that it's interesting to me that we're having this conversation as if these curricula don't already exist and these are, these things are not already being done. And I guess one one idea that I've had but have gone back and forth on is like, would it be helpful to have some sort of universally accessible curriculum for modern Orthodox educators. Now, of course, that's challenging because when you have more than one Jew, you have an argument about what it should look like, but some sort of, you know. I'm sure everyone would agree on what that curriculum should be. I'm sure you'd have no problems whatsoever. Tomorrow, we'll have it out, right? Uh, (laughs) But I think like to create some sort of framework for what it could look like and to have some sort of place for educators to talk about, how are we teaching this? I'm really uncomfortable with this. What did you do? How did you teach this? How do your students respond? Like to create a much bigger support network so that 
schools and that want to do this and teachers that want to do this can sort of feel like they have collegial support for each other. So I think here we get back to a problem we mentioned before, which is a school has to be willing to be publicly honest and say that this is a concern about our students. Because schools are very, very concerned about what image they portray to a community. And if you have a program like this, some schools, some boards of schools, some parents in schools will all think that, oh, what is this saying to the community that we've got a problem in our school having to do with uh, the way guys and girls treat each other and that they're not sure halacha. And this appears very bad. It's a bad reflection on us. And all the other schools are not saying this, and we're going to lose the sort of kids we want to come to our school if we are public and honest about this. I think this is the major barrier towards giving uh, a curriculum that will succeed in the variety of schools that you're saying. Either everybody does it, or you'll have very few schools that do it. Because schools have to survive. And the way it colors their image to the community is an important factor. And who can be calculating enough to know how much is just the right way to do it? So I, I think this is a real challenge to get a universal thing across. I think everybody knows what should be in the program. Everybody knows what training should go into it. I don't think there's as much difference as we think between what people would propose. What I think there is, is fear. That to be that helpful to students will color the institution that's doing it in a way that the institution will be scared of its survival. I want to reiterate, we need to prove that it's an issue first. And this is really why I think the survey model is the only way you're going to get movement on this. The same way all the Yeshiva Day schools agreed to fill out that survey about substance use. And then they found out that we as Yeshiva Day schools have a binge drinking issue in our youth. We need a survey to be put together that all the different Yeshiva Day schools will agree to take and ask students about their access and their use of pornography. Do they know anyone who's received a nude photo? Have, do they know anyone who's sent a nude photo? Have they ever had any kind of intimate activity and be very explicit on the form of what those are? Have they done it while they were drunk, which is a whole other issue, um, or after they had you know, in, engaged in some drinking, even if they were not fully drunk per se, right? And once you have actual data points, and nobody's going to point to one particular school, the same way nobody pointed to one particular school when it came to the binge drinking situation, but you say overall, this is the trend that we are seeing, having polled 40 different schools, then there will be movement because you can't deny that it's an issue anymore. But until then, as Rabbi Simkovich has said, if piecemeal, one school does it and one school doesn't do it, you won't have that buy-in that's needed. I hear that. Olivia, on that topic, then let's talk about the survey that you created. I want to hear about some of the results that you found. I realize it's a survey which I think you put together yourself. It wasn't a professional survey from a company that's involved in this, but I'm sure you found some interesting insights as well. Yeah, it was fascinating. So what I did was I reached out to students that I know, graduates from multiple different yeshivot, people who are in seminary programs and gap year programs. And I asked them some basic questions such as, do you wish you had a sex ed class in high school? Why yes or no? Do you think topics like exchanging nude photos, pornography use, hookups, and more need to be addressed in Jewish high schools? Do you think conversations around consent need to take place? Would you have been interested in learning about Jewish values and how they pertain to sexuality? And when these sex ed classes do not happen, where do teens get their info from instead? And is that of concern? So those were the basic topics that I asked. And yes, the responses were extremely interesting and even disturbing. So let's start with when these sex ed classes do not happen, where do teens get their info from instead? So here's what I've got. Media, TV, the internet, people talk to their friends, older siblings, if they have them, Google friends and rumors. And pretty much everyone agreed that this is an issue because none of this is coming from informed and reliable and verified sources. So it's not like they're finding out information that they need from doctors. That's not happening. Mm -hmm. The vast majority of the students also said that they really wish that they had had some kind of sex ed class. They felt uneducated. They felt that they didn't know about their own bodies. They felt like people think that sex and hookups and things like that don't happen. 
and because they think it doesn't happen, that means that those people who might be engaging in those behaviors don't do it correctly, and that can increase risk, which is a safety issue and concern. And then there were a lot of people who were very concerned about consent. And you know, this is a quote that I thought was just very important. If the entire idea of sex comes from porn, then people will have a warped view of what sex is and means. And people assume because we are adults, of course teens know that this stuff isn't real, right? Of course they know that pornography isn't real. That's not true. Some of them might know, but some of them might not. And we're the adults in the room and we love the kids and we want the kids to be okay. And that means we have to take the steps to make sure they have accurate information, that they know what consent is and is not, that they know even in TV shows, leaving aside pornography, that the relationships that are being described therein are not always healthy. Like Tova was saying, oftentimes we'll have classes on healthy relationships for girls, for females. We'll have uh, various organizations come in and talk to them. Sometimes we'll have sessions um, with Ora, who will talk about gut refusal, gut abuse, often aimed at girls. All these programs and this programming, it needs to be going to the guys as well. This is not a gendered issue. This is something that any human being needs to know how to how to live and, and how to act. Tova, I know you want to comment on that, but I actually want to ask you a question. You are a Yoetz at Halacha, and I'm curious in your training if you are taught more than just the Halachot, but also educational methodology and about the biology as well, perhaps some therapy. What are you taught in addition to the Halachot, if anything? So I, I was the first class of U.S. trained Yoetzot Halacha. So we had a very robust supplementary curriculum. Um, it has only grown. So I believe at this point, and we were taught a lot of this as well, there is a big focus on understanding male and female anatomy, physiology, sexual response cycles. We're trained in uh, being able to identify when someone that's asking a question might be struggling with a mental health challenge. We're trained in understanding how to talk to people about sexuality uh, and intimacy and, and when to know when we should refer out and, and share resources. Um, a lot of material on contraceptives, on the different stages of the female life cycle, how when females' bodies change, that could affect a couple's relationship. So there's a very, very robust uh, curriculum on the all the interrelated social, emotional, medical areas that intersect with hoho nida. You see, the reason I'm asking this is that this relates back to something that Rabbi Simkovich said earlier about training teachers. I'm particularly nervous about male teachers. I speak from my own experience as a rabbi, as someone who's taught in yeshivot, although I have learned halachot and I have had some supplemental education in the areas that you talked about. On the whole, I could still say that my training in these areas is relatively minimal. I don't even know how many rabbis who are not therapists in addition to being rabbis have any sort of training in the areas you mentioned. It could be there are programs I just don't know about. I'd be very nervous that not only do the rabbis not know as much about Hilchot Nida as do Yotzot Halacha, obviously with some exceptions, but it's largely true, I believe. But in addition to that fact, they also aren't trained in any of the areas you just mentioned. How are we going to find teachers who can possibly be involved? Even if we train them, Rabbi Simkovich, we're talking about a serious degree of training that most just don't have. And I think that from my own experience, I see that so many of us are untrained and unable to know any of the things that Tova just mentioned. Someone once said to me, and it was sort of a joke, he said, the only reason that guys have to learn Tarat HaMishpacha before they get married, when they're about to be a Chatan, is so that they don't look like an Amaretz, an ignoramus, in front of their future wives. It's sort of a joke, but it's a very sad joke because, in fact, there is so much they need to learn as well, even minimally, like Olivia was talking about, the idea of consent. I mean, just basic ethics on that level. Rabbi Simkovich, how are we going to be able to train anybody on the male side in the limited time that people have? It's a valid question. Yet, on the other hand, if we don't, you end up with situations. Let's picture a second something Olivia mentioned. They have a doctor on one side teaching that aspect and a rabbi or a, a or somebody else teaching on the other side. I remember teaching in a school where that was actually the system where there were two different parties and they would, you know, the uh, science teacher would teach the science end and then the rabbi would come in and talk about it. Afterwards, when they were done, the science teacher complained about the rabbi's ignorance in the teacher's room and the rabbi complained about the science teacher's 
ignorance of, of things that are values in Torah Judaism in his room. You have to overcome that. There has to be some place where the thought meets between the two different parties. And that means we do have to up the extent to which we train people in the Torah world, which means that um, we'd have to get away from the hang-up of, of uh, YUs feeling they have to really do their best they can to just um, to, to mimic the Mir Yeshiva program about how you learn about what Torah people need. And then maybe Mir will catch on from the other end, because this isn't just a problem in centrist and modern Orthodox schools. It's also a bit of a problem in the Haredi world too, just nobody's going to admit it. What I think you have to do is incorporate this into the program. Everybody knows that sexuality and the relationships between genders is the number two issue in America after racism. And for us to pretend that it isn't and educate as if it isn't is foolish. We're just going to shoot ourselves in the foot. And I think it's time that, you know, you have to, there has to be pressure brought. That's why, you know, this is why we're doing this podcast. This is why we want to put on some degree of demand that this happens because the status quo is not sufficient. And this dovetails with one of the problems I see in general in the Orthodox world, which is that often we look at rabbis, when I say we, people look at rabbis as those people who have all the answers, and they don't. And the problem isn't that people look at them like that. It's a problem when the rabbis themselves start believing their own PR that because I have smich and I learned Eredea, therefore I can help you with marriage counseling that's actually effective if I haven't been trained in that area. We have to make sure that people do what they're trained to do, and people who aren't trained don't believe that they know how to do it just because they can read a line of Gemara. I think the idea of incorporating this into teacher education, master's degree programs or training programs is really important because when teachers take classes for a master's, they can opt into teaching Tanakh, teaching whatever, uh, depending on the institution that they're in. And I think if this is what our kids need, which I believe that it is, then the educational institutions, uh, it behooves them to, to offer courses on this because that's going to be what it means to be a Jewish educator. And in 2022. I, I also think it's interesting that it happened to be today's Dafyomi was exactly about this topic, the story of, of Rav Kahana hiding under Rav's bed uh, when Rav was engaged in relations with his wife. Uh, and there's another version of this in Masech Brachot. But the point of, I think, both of these stories, or there are many different takeaways, is that if we do not proactively educate our students about these topics, they are going to get their information in other inappropriate ways and perhaps from, from not valid sources. So I think that if we need to make the case for this is important and our kids are hearing this elsewhere and we need to be the ones to educate so they don't go on, turn on whatever on their phones and watch it, like the Gemara itself in two Masechto, right, reports, this is what we need to do. Well, I like the idea of incorporating knowledge of sexuality and how to teach about it effectively into a master's level program at various institutions. I do have some concerns, and I think that they're important to consider. There are tensions between halacha and the experiences of people in terms of sexuality, especially nowadays. So, for example, um, when it comes to anyone who's part of the LGBT population, there are the statements that are made by halacha about certain acts and certain choices of what's forbidden and so on. And then there's the fact that you have sitting in your classroom, a scared 10th grade boy who is listening to you teach that and who might be terrified about the implications for him and what that means and what that looks like. And whether if he came out to his parents, would he have a house to live in? Would he get kicked out? What would be the reaction? And so on the one hand, I firmly believe we don't need to apologize for halacha. Halacha is halacha. We believe it's the word of God. And we are Tanakh or Judaic studies teachers because we love God. But on the other hand, there is a tension. And I don't think every single Jewish educator is able to have the sensitivity that is required, even if taught to have it in a program, to understand that the people that they're speaking to may be dealing with very intense and powerful issues that just paying the proper lip service will not be enough. So I, I don't know how much of this can be taught. And I don't know how much of this is innate to the person and their own life experiences that they bring to the table that makes them realize we need to care about the kids and who the kids are. And I just want to bring that up because I think it's important to realize it may not be as simple as simply creating a training. 
I'm sure everybody here on the screen knows, but I don't know if every listener knows it enough about Rabbi Khan's uh, podcast with uh, Tali. What do you think about getting these two sides to jive? Because you do this as part of a podcast with thousands of people listening. What's your perspective here? The fact of the matter is that when you do a podcast, you have the benefit of being able to edit it very carefully and make sure that what you send out into the world is what you want to say. It's not nearly as dangerous as speaking extemporaneously in front of a classroom where whatever you say, it's out there and it's finished because, and now I'm telling you how the sausage is made, I can frankly edit something if there's something which I find to be stated in a way which is not as clear or not as accurate as I feel it actually should be. But doing it in a general sense, I think is very, very important. I do it with Tali because, and I'm speaking for Tali now as well, I believe we both feel that these conversations really need to happen. And the reason that I'm convinced it's true and that that's an accurate assessment of the situation, that these conversations really are important, is from the feedback that we get from people across Judaism. I'm talking about across different sectors of orthodoxy, from the right to the left, as well as throughout the rest of Judaism that is outside the orthodox community. People are not having these conversations, certainly not in the religious communities that we know. And the fact that they don't have these conversations leads to ignorance. And ignorance leads to tremendous shame. It leads to guilt. It leads to all sorts of negative emotions that are very often completely unwarranted, even from a purely halachic standpoint. They just assume that if anyone ever asked the question, the answer is going to be no, so I'm not even going to bother. And part of what our goal has to be is to tell people that things are more complicated, things are more open, there's more there than you think. Even saying that I don't have the answer, I can't explain, like this week, for example, we released a podcast, or last week we released a podcast, where somebody asked about lesbianism and whether it's allowed under halacha. And the answer is that it's not. Whether it's a Doraita or a Durabanan, that's a different question. But Chazal say it's not allowed. It's Paskin in the Gemara and Shulchan Aruch. It's in the Rambam. That doesn't mean, though, that we can't have sympathy. It doesn't mean that we can't be caring. It doesn't mean we can't explain it in hopefully an understanding way so that we can tell people this is what the Halacha says. And a very important point that I always try to convey, and I hope it comes across, is that a rabbi does not accompany a couple into their bedroom. A yuetzat halacha does not accompany a couple into their bedroom. No one accompanies a couple into their bedroom except for God. And what they do in there is genuinely between them and God. I can tell them what halacha says, and I can say I believe halacha is binding. If they choose to break halacha, though, I'm not going to judge them because it's not my place to judge them. No one is asking me to judge them. And if I ever would imply that I know how God judges a couple, should they choose not to keep halacha in a given area? That is a terrible, arrogant statement to make. How would I possibly know what God thinks? I think that halacha is binding, but if there's a situation where a couple decides with God, so to speak, that they're not going to keep a halacha, it's not for me to say, you're by definition wrong. How am I supposed to know that sort of thing? So we can say what halacha says, but at the same time, we can also acknowledge we know the norms, but we don't necessarily know the nature of the judgment. We don't necessarily know the nature of how God is interacting with us on a personal basis. And that's really between the couple and God. It has nothing to do with me or anybody else. Perhaps I've moved away from your original question, but I hope in some way that does address the question you asked. No, that helps because what we're saying is is that we don't have a perfect solution all the time and that it's okay to have some humility about these things. We're dealing with God's creations. That demands humility. Absolutely. I want to go back and ask all three of you about something that Olivia said earlier regarding Jewish values as opposed to simply halacha. In fact, I'm going to quote something that Rivka Schwartz of SAR wrote. She wrote in an article, in my health class, I often tell my students that a sexual relationship should be ethical, it should be safe, and it should be halachic. Our highest aspirations for you are that it be all three. But just because it is not one does not mean that we should not aspire to the other two. And I thought that was actually a very important statement. And Olivia, you earlier mentioned this idea of a Jewish ethic of sexuality that is not necessarily the same thing as what's asura mutar, what's allowed and what's prohibited. What do you have in mind when you talk about that? What sorts of values do you think come out of our sources when you're describing a Jewish ethic of sexuality? And I'd like to ask all three of you what you think about this. Okay. So there's actually a wonderful book. It's an older book called Marital Intimacy, and that's by Rabbi Carrie Friedman. 
and it's fantastic. And it's really intended for people who are at the point in their lives where they're going to uh, get married and have a committed relationship. But many, many of the Jewish values around sexuality that appear in that book could be taken and used in a curriculum that would be taught to teenagers. For example, did you know, because our teenagers don't, that you're not supposed to have intimate relations when you're angry with each other, right? That's, that's actually forbidden. You're not supposed to do that, right? Or if someone's drunk and because they're drunk, right, they can't give consent, this isn't a modern value. This isn't a Title IX outcome. This is something that appears in our texts and in our sources from way before. And I think that there would be so much value in exposing students to these big ideas of this is what an ideal committed relationship that involves intimacy is supposed to look like. And this isn't a reactionary approach where Judaism had to react to the Me Too movement or something like that. This is far older than that. There's a beauty in our tradition around what this relationship looks like and exposing that to students because when you don't teach it that way, all that students see are restriction after restriction, right? You told me I need to keep Shomer Nagia and you're restricting me in this and you're restricting me in that. You told me Yichud, you're restricting me in this, you're restricting me in that. And you're not seeing where it's actually supposed to go. And even when teachers try to convey the beauty of the intimate relationship, when they give some kind of class around Hilchot Nida, let's say, I think it's too little. It's not sufficient to show the deeper values and ethics. And then riffing off of something I brought up before, this whole idea of consent, the idea that if for whatever reason someone falls and they behave in a manner that isn't halachic, there is still a huge difference between two people together choosing to do something versus someone pressuring the other or making advances that are unwanted on the other. We need to be very clear with students about that because the ramifications, if we're not clear, are so terrible, we can't live with those. And I certainly agree that when we say, as you said earlier, and as Rabbi Simkovich also implied, when you just tell everybody it's simply forbidden, it's hard and difficult, maybe impossible to make a distinction between consensual sexual intercourse or sexual activity and rape, on the other hand. If they're both asur, then what's really the difference? Either way, I'm breaking halakha. Obviously, that's absurd. But if we don't teach them that, we can't assume that they'll know it on their own. And as a consequence, we may see people say things like, because it's fun, and think that this is a valid reason to excuse coercive sex. Tova? So I think there, when I teach about this, there are three main themes that I focus on. And I'm also a fan of Abraham Peretz Friedman's book that you mentioned, Marital Intimacy. Um, so one of them is, I think that if you, if you look through uh, a lot of the sources, uh, you see that there is an emphasis that when couples are intimate, they should be focused on each other. I think that's definitely a theme that you see that courses throughout a lot of even some of the extreme restrictions that maybe we don't say apply nowadays, uh, depending on how you understand the sources, but really a full focus on one's partner, I think is a value. The other one is that a sexual relationship is about making sure that each member of the couple feels pleasure, but also it's about giving to one another. I think that's something that is highlighted in a number of the sources. It's, it's not just about taking, which is of course important, but it's also about giving and not in a non-consensual way. Uh, but if you look at the surrounding culture that we live in, there's a big focus on what makes feels good to me, what makes me feel good, what do I like, and a less of a focus on what can I give to my partner. So I think that's very important. And the last one, actually, I think there is a very big focus in halachic sources, which I think sort of filter down into what's a sexual ethic about protecting the woman from becoming objectified. Um, if you think about the halacha of ona, so what's ona? Ona is that if a woman wants um, at certain times, the husband has an obligation to satisfy her sexually. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't necessarily mean intercourse. It means whatever makes her feel satisfied. If she doesn't want it, right, she can forego that. And the other important piece that's interesting to note is that there is no reciprocal obligation from the woman toward the man, right? She doesn't owe him ona. There's no chiyob de oraita in the Torah that she owes him sex. And I think the question is of why is interesting. And perhaps it's because when it comes to a sexual relationship, perhaps this has changed a little bit, but I don't think completely, uh, it's easier for men to say what they want than for women. And I think that the mitzvah of ona sort of forces the woman in a positive way to have a voice or 
puts the pressure on the husband to, to give her a voice and say, what can I do to make you happy? And I think that really does serve to protect the woman in a relationship, which historically there's been a lack of parity in terms of each member of the couple getting what they want and the woman's voice perhaps not being heard. So she's given a voice uh, in this relationship. And that's such an important point, particularly because speaking about untrained teachers and getting the halacha completely backwards, we've all heard of cases over and over where a person or a rabbi will tell a chatan, well, if she's not ready, you just have to kind of force her to do it because there's a mitzvah of ona. There's this obligation where you have to have sexual intercourse, vaginal intercourse with her, which, as you're saying, Tova, is exactly the opposite of what it actually is both halachically and in terms of Jewish values. So it's very important that we convey this. Rabbi Sankovich, what would you say are the values that we should be conveying? Okay, well, first of all, I agree with everything that's been said almost. It's, it's hard to argue. I'm just going to try and add or highlight a couple of things. One is I think that girls don't understand themselves fully as they grow into being adolescents. Guys pretty much don't understand themselves at all. So first of all, when you're dealing with guys, there has to be some, some sort of people have to start understanding themselves, who they are. And if that's a problem, then the next steps are going to be very difficult. So we can reach back into the Gemara and to the Medrash to help them. Let's say there's a famous story about a baye sitting off to the side in the woods, peeking out through the trees and seeing a couple say goodbye to each other in a very romantic way, but that is not realized physically. And Abaye, after seeing that, comes back and says, if I was that guy, I don't think I could have been able to resist. A guy growing up has to know that. It's not that his impulses, the same impulses as Abaye had, maybe not with the same intelligence, but the same impulses. And that is something they have to know that that sexual drive exists and they have to deal with it as Abaye dealt with it. And this is built into our tradition and halacha is not defining it completely. In other words, Abaye could have the emotions and the sensitivity and the understanding and say to himself, would I, you know, okay, the halacha here is very difficult. I don't know if I would have stood up to it. And that's open in, in the Gemara. The Gemara is not hiding this. It's not making into saints, people who are people. And that's one thing I just want to point out. We have to train guys to understand and not think that I can't even talk about it. It's just so obvious. They have to talk about it. Secondly, can we preserve a sensitivity to what a sexual relationship should ideally be, even though people will fall short? So just because, let's say, somebody doesn't feel that they can keep the halakha 100% all the way until they're married, will they keep it 80% or will they just throw it all away? It's important that they understand the values involved and that we help them to understand and promote the values and help them understand what the halakha system is trying to promote in relationships between people. And not misinterpreted, as we've said, but they have to understand we're trying to create relationships that will stand the test of time in a romantic sense that is not defined by physicality, but is defined by who we are as people, what our needs are, and what God's needs are for us to act as sexual human beings. Unless we can incorporate that into what we're teaching, we're always going to feel like we haven't done the job, and we will fall short as teachers much more often. Rabbi Sinkovich, that leads to a real question, which I'd like to hear what the answer is, because I'm sure people listening now, because I've heard this before, people are probably thinking, or at least some people are probably thinking, if you tell students that it's not all or nothing, as you said, maybe you won't keep 100%, but perhaps you'll keep 80%, some people may well interpret that as, oh, Therefore, it's still okay if I choose to keep less than 100%. Are you implicitly giving them a heter, an allowance to do something which is against halakha? I don't think you are, but I'm curious how we can answer that question to people who would say, the problem with discussing these matters is that people will take it as well. If A is worse than B, then I may as well do B, as opposed to don't do either one of them. In my, I'll give you a quick answer, then I'll let other people speak, which is, if a student is asking such a question with integrity and seriousness, 
and I don't answer with integrity and seriousness, I might as well throw the towel in. Because what will they learn from me? Fake it. That's not sustainable. I think it's important for us to remember that, generally speaking, students know what, what's allowed and what's not allowed. So the biggest chiddish we have to offer them, the biggest novel idea is not, you know, you know guess what? This isn't allowed what you're asking. Um, I think an important concept that we talk about all the time in other areas of Jewish living is that religion is not all or nothing, right? Religion, it, growth is a process. Nobody's perfect, right? Every single day we can do tshuva, we can repent. Every single year we have Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, right? So obviously... Um, nobody can do everything perfectly. So why should we have a double standard when it comes to every other area of law, except for this one? It doesn't make sense. So I think students know what's allowed and not allowed, but also telling them it's a process. It's, it's growth. If you can't do all of it, then it's so great that you're doing what you're doing. Let's work toward doing more. Uh, so I think that's a really important message to have. Students can tell when we're authentic and we're genuine with them. And students can also tell when we're simply hiding things or refusing to answer because we personally have discomfort and are uncomfortable. And I'm going to make an analogy which may not at first fully appear to be the same, but I think it is the same. Up to relatively recently, people didn't want to discuss mental health or any kind of mental health issues in schools for sure, with teenagers for sure. This concern that if I dare discuss suicide in terms of a suicide prevention program, depression or anxiety, I will cause students to become depressed or anxious or God forbid to die by suicide. And just all the research has shown that this is not true and that we need to be having these discussions, that these discussions can be done in ways that are protective and that can help students by giving them the proper resources and connecting them to the proper resources. I think you could make the exact same claim about sexuality and discussions around sexuality. Like Rabbi Simkovich mentioned, this is natural. This is something that appears in the Gemara. This is something that appears throughout. Yes, students are going to have these desires. They're going to have these urges. And we can do one of two things. We can ignore them completely and have an abstinence-based education, or we can recognize that in 2022, they are inundated with content around this topic. They can't hide from it, right? It's, it's in their cell phones, it's on TV, it's in the media, it's literally everywhere. And so, their education will come from outside of us without proper framing or, or information that's accurate or values that are actually values that we want them to have, Jewish values about commitment and about the importance of pleasure in terms of you know, the woman and the role of looking at your partner as a partner and not an object. What we're aiming to do here is to take an issue that already exists and that is already in their lives and empower them to deal with it in a responsible manner. It's not going to cause a kid who was never considering having, you know, sex outside of halacha to suddenly go and have sex outside of halacha because we dared to have the conversation. What it's going to do is it's going to help the kids who need the help and who need the supports feel like they can come forward to the teacher to talk to them authentically about where they're holding and to get information that is valuable and helpful to them so that they can deal with their lives in a safe and ethical and hopefully halakhic manner. Okay, well, this has been really, really fascinating. And I have to say that I hope that this isn't the final conversation we have about this. There's so much more to talk about. I hope this is an opening conversation. There's a lot more that needs to be done, but at least perhaps through this podcast today, we can raise some issues and get people thinking, and perhaps that can lead to some actual action, perhaps putting together some sort of curriculum, perhaps putting together some sort of database where people can share ideas, share concerns, share problems that have occurred in teaching these matters. So I'd like to thank all three of you for joining me today. Mrs. Olivia Friedman, Yuetsa Talacha, Tova Warburg-Sinensky, Rabbi Moshe Simkovich. This is very important. I hope we continue the conversation. Subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please visit jewishcoffeehouse.com for other episodes of The Orthodox Conundrum, as well as many other great podcasts, including Intimate Judaism, The Mamanides Minute, Chochmat Nashim, The Francisca Show, and Let My People Eat. I'd appreciate it if you go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Orthodox Conundrum. It takes literally two minutes. It's just giving a certain number of stars and writing one or two sentences. Please like the Orthodox Conundrum podcast on Facebook and join our growing Facebook group, the Orthodox Conundrum Discussion Group, where you can feel free to discuss issues in orthodoxy in an honest and friendly environment. 
I hope you'll become a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast, and you can get bonus episodes, Jewish Coffeehouse merch, and more. You'll get special episodes on all sorts of topics that are only available to subscribers. And you'll be helping Jewish Coffeehouse spread our message of a welcoming, intellectually engaged, and honest orthodoxy. Just join Patreon. It's only a couple of dollars a month, and you can stop anytime, so join today. Finally, do you have a message that needs to get out? Do you want to promote your business, your organization, or your cause? The best way is by producing a podcast, and Jewish Coffeehouse can make it happen. I have experience producing hundreds of podcasts, both for myself and for satisfied clients. Whether you want to learn everything you need in one day, or relax and record and let me do the heavy lifting, Jewish Coffeehouse Productions will work with you to make it happen and make it even better than you imagined. Let me help you today. Write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com or go to jewishcoffeehouse.com, click on Productions, and sign up for a free consultation. Make your voice heard, promote your cause, sell your product, and engage an audience now. I'm Scott Kahn. This has been the Orthodox Conundrum on jewishcoffeehouse.com. <laughs>